If you ever watched Game of Thrones, you will remember the meme so often uttered by Egret the Wilding to the man she so desperately loved. You know nothing, Jon Snow. I'm going to tell you the story of a different Jon Snow today, Dr. Jon Snow, one who was a long way from knowing nothing. In fact, he knew so much that his contemporaries often thought he had lost his mind. As it turned out, their motto for him should have been, Jon Snow Knows. This Jon Snow of England, who lived in the mid-19th century, has been called the greatest physician since Hippocrates and the father of epidemiology. He changed the world in two ways at least. First, he gave us a safe and efficient method of using ether for anesthesia during surgery, in place of having strong men hold the patient down as they screamed in agony through the procedure. Dr. Snow used chloroform as well, but found it trickier to dose. He was seen as so expert in its use that he was summoned to the palace to administer chloroform to Queen Victoria when she gave birth. She was quite pleased with the reduction of pain and stress it provided her. Chloroform came to be used commonly during labor, despite the fact that some discouraged its use as ungodly because the scripture said that women should suffer in childbirth. We can also thank Dr. Snow for advising that it would be best if the surgeon were not also the anesthetist, obviously a segregation that exists to this day. His second great achievement, and the one I most want to focus on during this podcast, is how he solved the riddle of cholera. In so doing, he demonstrated his creative scientific clarity on several fronts, as a doctor, as a scientist, as a statistician, and as an epidemiologist, perhaps the world's first practicing epidemiologist. I've always been fascinated by what the people of certain historical periods knew in their time, and I've been equally fascinated with what they didn't know, or worse, falsely believed. It was Twain who said, It's not what people know that troubles me, it's what they know that ain't so. Let's look at what was widely believed about health and medicine in the 19th century that turned out to be not so. People largely believed that illness struck those who were immoral or sinful. They didn't believe in a microbial world either. Germ theory had not yet taken hold. But yet many believed in fairies and elves. And the medical community at large virtually universally believed falsely that cholera and malaria and yellow fever were all caused by miasma, bad air. They believed explorers got yellow fever and malaria when they went into the dank and musty-smelling forest of Africa or Central America. They would breathe in that miasma, which was produced by low-lying swamps and rainforests, and become critically ill and sometimes die. The typical treatment for miasma was to fill the patient's room with sweet-smelling flowers to counteract the noxious fumes they had inhaled. Perhaps that is where the tradition of bringing flowers to a patient's room in the hospital originated. In London in those times, the disease of greatest concern was cholera. It tended to show up in the lowlands along the rivers and could kill dozens of people quickly with its horrific diarrhea, within two or three days, as a matter of fact. And then it could stay around for months picking off a poor soul per day within a relatively small area. These outbreaks tended to occur in poverty-stricken areas that suffered from poor sanitation, and they smelled bad, so the miasma theory was easily supported. They would say, 
those people are creating bad air, and they get no wind down there in the low-lying areas, so the miasma stagnates and becomes more lethal. Something that added to the smells in even what we might call middle-class areas was the use of cesspools. These were kept in the basement of homes, and they were often poorly maintained. They were crude septic tanks. The sewage from the house would be delivered there by pipes or physically dumped there from chamber pots. Sometimes these sewage cisterns would be emptied by tubmen, men who had the horrific job of taking the raw sewage, night soil it was called, from under the home in large tubs and putting it on a wagon and taking it out into the country to deposit in the fields as fertilizer. I guess if you wanted to put a good curse on someone, you could say, may you come back in your next life as a tubman. Sometimes the sewage collecting under the homes didn't get emptied and just overflowed onto the ground and soaked it, and as you can imagine, created a great stink. So this great stink was part of the reason that the miasma theory thrived. Every time there was a cholera outbreak, physicians going to the area confirmed for themselves the validity of the miasma theory by just smelling the air. Stephen Johnson, in his exceptionally brilliant book, The Ghost Map, wrote, Practically the entire political and medical establishment fell into the same deadly error. How could so many intelligent people be so grievously wrong for an extended period of time? How could they ignore such overwhelming evidence that contradicted their most basic theories? These questions, too, deserve their own discipline. We might call it the sociology of error. I interviewed Stephen Johnson some years ago for an NPR broadcast, and his book has remained a powerful force in my mind all these years, which is why I wanted to share his incredibly detailed research with you. The Ghost Map, a great read for the curious mind. Now, back to Dr. Snow. As we will see, he was the exception to the intellectual contagion of the miasma theory. He thought differently. He proved eventually that the air was not the problem. It was the water. He also doubted the miasma theory because he reasoned that inhaled illnesses resulted in coughs and congestion, whereas cholera settled in the intestines and always resulted in diarrhea described as rice water. For those who died, it was death by dysentery. So, Snow thought, people must ingest it orally. Then came the cholera outbreak of 1848, which killed over 14,000 people in London. And it offered Dr. Snow, serendipitously, a perfect chance to prove his waterborne cholera theory. It struck hard in the Soho district, just blocks from his home. It killed 10% of the people in that small neighborhood within a week. He was able to demonstrate that the overwhelming majority of those who died, 90% or so, had drunk water that week from the unfortunately popular well on Broad Street. People claimed the water there tasted sweet and had a slight carbonation to it. Dr. Snow was able, through the world's first infographic of available data, to prove to authorities that the water there was dangerous to the public and the pump handle should be removed. It was. That's the big picture. Now let's look at how Dr. Snow worked this miracle against all odds. Though it certainly wasn't known until later, the genesis of the epidemic on Broad Street in the Soho district was one sick baby. 
The baby got sick and began having bouts of intense diarrhea and died within four days of the onset of the illness. During this time, his grieving mother changed his diapers often, soaked the soiled ones in water, and then tossed the whole mess into the cesspool in her basement. Well, unbeknownst to anyone until later, the cesspool was located only a few feet from the public well, and it had a leak in it at just the right place so that the cholera-laced water leached out into the well and contaminated it. The people of the neighborhood in the late days of a hot summer continued to flock to the well to get their daily drinking water, taking death home with them. Well, the outbreak was immediate and lethal. Within a couple of days, 70 people had died in a small neighborhood called Golden Square. Some went from feeling fine to being dead within 12 hours. Entire households were wiped out. One household eventually lost 12 people over a couple of weeks. People shut themselves up in hot houses to keep out the miasma. Cholera dehydrates, so sweating wasn't exactly the right move. Then you needed more water, and the water that was available was infested with cholera. Sadly, it was water that could have been the solution, clean water and lots of it to wash out the bacteria and some salts and minerals to restore electrolytes and steady the heart rhythms. Pedialyte would have been the miracle treatment if only they had had it. Makes one wonder what future doctors will know about our current COVID-19 pandemic. Will they say... If only they had had that tequila and aspirin and tetracycline together, that was the simple answer. Well, I doubt that will be the case, but still one wonders what misconceptions we nurture in our time that keep us blind. So how did Dr. Snow track all this down? How did he learn about the dirty diapers in the cesspool being the genesis of the epidemic? Well, he didn't right away. That came later. All he knew at the beginning, is that there was a damning correlation between deaths in Golden Square and the water at the Broad Street pump. He proved this with data. He went to the city government where they kept death statistics with the dresses of who died where. He took that data and made a map, marking X's on every home that had a death from cholera. The result was frightening. Anyone could see that the deaths clustered most densely near the well and dissipated as you got further away. The correlations were so strong and so powerful when put into map form that the city authorities agreed to remove the handle from the well. Soon the outbreak was over. When all was said and done, 896 people in the Golden Square neighborhood had died, 700 of them within 250 yards of the deadly well. Then Dr. Snow was able to go house to house and visit with families to determine their actions before, during, and after the epidemic. He found explanations for the anomalies of deaths. Those who died further from the well, it turned out, had often walked five blocks to get the preferred Broad Street water. There was even a woman who died two miles away. Snow learned from her sons that she used to live in the Golden Square neighborhood, and she loved that water. They had taken the water to her at her request, and that water resulted in her death. Yet there wasn't an immediate paradigm shift where everyone hailed the brilliance of Dr. John Snow, no. People in the neighborhood were angry that their preferred water had been cut off. Most everyone believed that cooler weather had arrived and pushed out the miasma. 
Minnie just saw the good doctor as a kind of crazy scientist who was ruining their lives by making them go five blocks for water now. The medical community, too, was not buying it. But in the decades ahead, the miasma theory would be slowly discredited in favor of Snow's perspective. No doubt it was Snow's research published in The Lancet and other places that helped people see that the data was hard to deny. As is generally the case, Dr. Snow didn't live to learn that he had changed the world. The Titanic of belief changes course slowly, but changed the world he did. The Lancet finally praised his work almost 20 years later when they wrote, The researches of Dr. Snow are among the most fruitful in modern medicine. He traced the history of cholera. The editorial commended him for proving that cholera resided in water and could poison water supplies if those supplies weren't protected from sewage. The editors concluded that no better service could be rendered to humanity. Dr. Snow was a great public benefactor, and the benefits which he conferred should be fresh in the minds of all of us. Everywhere now, public policy makes certain that water systems don't take in their waters from rivers or streams, potentially contaminated by raw sewage. There are naturally efforts to prohibit any sewage from making it into our oceans and rivers, but that is not successful everywhere. Hence, cholera continues to exist in India, parts of Africa, and Haiti. It's encouraging to see how little acts of courage can change the world in big ways. Snow's removal of the pump handle on Broad Street was a small thing, but it affected change throughout the world, even for me. Thousands of miles away and more than 150 years later, I was having a well drilled by my farmhouse in Texas. The Hispanic man who came out to drill the well asked me where the septic tank was. I showed him, and he told me he couldn't drill the well where I wanted it. Had to be 150 feet from the septic tank. He explained the rule in his colloquial way. The law says you must keep the caca away from the agua, he said. So he drilled another 50 feet further from the spot I had chosen. Thank you, Dr. Snow. Today, on Broad Street in London, now Broadwick Street, you can see a replica pump of the old one Dr. Snow had shut down, and this one has a commemorative plaque that reads, His theory initially met with much disbelief, but such was his conviction that he had the pump handle removed to prevent its further use. Soon afterwards, the outbreak ended. In full disclosure, I must tell you that I am a member of the John Snow Society, but I present no spin in his favor because of it. To become a member of the John Snow Society, all you have to do is pay the membership fee and promise to visit the John Snow Pub any time you are in London and have a pint which is odd because Jon Snow was an abstainer himself. But, nonetheless, this is my kind of society.